Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. February 9th of 2004, 21-year-old UMass student Maura Murray drove from her dorm in Amherst, Massachusetts to the White Mountains of New Hampshire. At approximately 7.27 p.m., Maura spun out her 1996 Saturn on a hairpin turn on Route 112 in North Haverhill. There has never been a credible sighting of Maura since. Maura is 5 foot 7 inches tall. She weighs 120 pounds, and she has brown hair and hazel eyes. If you have any information regarding Mora's disappearance, please submit it to us, the Murray family at Direct at gmail.com, or the New Hampshire State Police Cold Case Unit. This is Missing Mora Murray. Welcome back to Missing Maura Murray. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I'm doing so well, Tim. I'm doing especially well because we get to feature a case from Private Investigations for the Missing on this episode. How are you today? I'm doing great. And you're right. This one comes to us straight from our Private Investigations for the Missing case files. And this was a submission. And our friend and coworker, Jennifer Amell, she spoke with Kenneth Taylor about her daughter, Kaya Taylor, and how she has gone missing. That's right. Kaya Annette Taylor, age 28 years old. She's 5 foot 6 inches, 170 pounds. Her hair is reddish brown, and she has brown eyes. Some distinguishing characteristics. She has tattoos, an infinity sign on her upper chest, a sun on her upper thigh, two X's on her upper shoulder, a ladybug on her lower leg, and a rose on her left forearm. And Kaya was last seen on February 6th, 2020. Kaya dropped off her boyfriend on Cowart Road at 4 p.m. on February 6th, and her vehicle was later found abandoned on the railroad tracks uh, just west of Jap Tucker Road in Plant City, Florida. 
And you'll hear it in our voice as we go through the details of this case, uh, sort of the frustration that we're uh, experiencing, because there is a, there's a lot pointing to uh, certain people in her disappearance and what would appear to be kind of a ham-handed cover-up or a ham-handed way to, to make this look like she uh, would either get into an accident on the railroad tracks or, or disappeared on her own. It, it seems so messy and inexplicable why this hasn't been solved yet. Absolutely. And it's a new case, too. It's from 2020. So uh, it's definitely a, a case that is totally solvable. So uh, let, let's throw it to our discussion with Jen and uh, make sure to follow the social media pages for private investigations for the missing and check out the website as well, investigationsforthemissing.org. And if anyone has any information regarding Kaya Taylor's whereabouts, please contact the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office at Today we're going to talk about the disappearance of Kaya Annette Taylor. And this is a case that came into our private investigations for the missing email inbox. Isn't that right, Jen? Yeah, yeah. It came into the the inbox through PI for the Missing from a friend of the family um, who was speaking on behalf of Kaya's mother, Kanitha, and provided Kanitha's information. And I subsequently had a very long, very enlightening conversation with her mother. That's awesome. And I just want to uh, say again, I know this is going to be a bit redundant for people, but Private Investigations for the Missing is the nonprofit that was founded by Bruce Maitland. And what we're trying to do is raise funds and raise awareness for families that have missing loved ones. And we sort of have the um, the front line of first visibility uh, angle going for us. Uh, the cases come to us through the inbox. Uh, Jen, you research them. You have other people that you work with within the organization that help you research them. But you pretty much take the lead on the research and then you bring it to us. You put it in a nice document and you bring it to us. And this is what we're working off of. And uh, on occasion, like you said, you you do have family members that you reach out to. Obviously, you want to get as much detail as possible. Um, I just quick question. When you spoke to her mother, uh, what was that like? What was what was the initial conversation like? And was it over the phone, email? How did that go down? Um, it was over the phone. Um, I was just struck. I mean, whenever I have conversations with families of missing people, there's a general sense of like desperation. And that seemed to be the case with Kanitha. She seemed like a concerned mother, of course. There was also some degree of complacency in her voice. Like the police had just not given this case its due attention and she I got the sense that she kind of felt abandoned by the people who are supposed to investigate it so hopefully we can rectify that by getting Kaya's case out there to the public. Did you get the feeling that the complacency was a sign of her uh, losing hope? I don't think it was losing hope I think it was I mean I'm not a psychologist but it seems like it was like a guarding against hope. Like, she was trying to protect herself and didn't want to get her hopes up with anything. Because she's really explored every avenue possible and talked to as many people in her daughter's life as possible, trying to figure out what happened to her. And did she give you any thoughts on what she, uh, what angle she thought? 
she went into a few theories that she has, which I'm sure we will discuss when we get to that point. Great. Okay. I'll I'll start with some of the details on uh, Kaya. Um, her name is actually spelled C-I-E-H-A. It's pronounced Kaya, though. Kaya Annette Taylor. She's 28 years old, 5'6", 170 pounds. Her hair was reddish brown, and she had brown eyes. She had a tattoo of an infinity sign on her upper chest, a sun on her upper thigh, two X's on her upper shoulder, ladybug on her lower leg, and a rose on her left forearm. And this is a relatively recent one. She went missing on February 6th. That's when she was last seen of 2020, where um, Kaya's boyfriend dropped her off on Cohort Road at around 4 p.m. on the 6th. Yeah, and her vehicle was later found abandoned on the railroad tracks on East Trapnel Road, just west of Jap Tucker Road in Plant City, Florida. She was last seen wearing a gray, white, blue, and red striped dress, and possibly a pink cardigan as well. I actually drove through Plant City a couple times on my way from Tampa to Orlando, and Plant City is a very rural place in Florida. There's like large fields and kind of swampland. I think it's a, a large place for agriculture, as the name suggests. But it's not a very populated place when you're thinking of Florida, and it's landlocked. So this is like central Florida, not very populated, uh, lots of farm. Is that is that what I'm getting here? A lot of farm and a lot of uh, manufacturing? Yeah, that's what it seemed like. And is that what we found her family was mostly doing as an occupation? No, um, her mother was working in the juvenile system. I'm not sure in what capacity. And then Kaya was working at a call center in Lakeland, Florida at the time. And how did Kenneth describe Kaya to be? Kenneth said her daughter was like super bubbly and vibrant and someone you would always want around to brighten your day or lift your spirits. She did mention the fact that Kaya suffered from an addiction to methamphetamines. And so, Kenneth, uh, you said works in juvenile, some kind of juvenile services, um, which which makes it interesting, I guess, that that uh, she discovered that Kaya was was using meth under her roof, and uh, and she has even said, "quote I don't want to ever lie about my daughter." Yeah, she was really upfront about uh, the struggle that her daughter went through with with a meth addiction. I believe that it's pretty prevalent in that area and actually all around. Florida, unfortunately. Um, I think Kaya just sort of fell in, in with the wrong crowd and, uh, you know, got addicted. We, we hear that a lot, and I don't want to... Um, the last thing that we want to do is put any sort of bias on this case and say it's not any more important than another case because she was addicted to methamphetamines. It's a terrible uh, addiction, and it's a terrible epidemic that happens in states like Florida, like you said, just falling into the wrong crowd. Who are the people in, in her crowd? Who are the wrong people that you uh, noticed in her crowd? Um, some of the people in her crowd were uh, a friend called Kayla and her boyfriend that she was kind of on again, off again with. His name is Jason. I think they were all, I think her boyfriend was kind of involved in some gang activity and Kayla was a person who was also an addict and she sold meth. So her mother is pretty sure that Kaya was getting her drugs from her friend Kayla. Okay, and Jason was Kaya's boyfriend, and apparently Kaya was uh, sometimes living with him and then sometimes with her other friend, Tiffany, uh, after she was kicked out of her house. 
Yes, and I believe Tiffany was a really good influence in Kaya's life. I think uh, Kanitha spoke very highly of her, and she was... Tiffany was kind of trying to get Kaya to move away from, you know, that lifestyle, away from Jason. She didn't like him and was letting her, you know, crash at her place to try to get her life in order. And it it brings me back to the point that you mentioned about Kanitha being guarded or being, you know, just defensive about her hopes being, uh, you know, going up and being let down. Um, I, I mean, has she resigned herself to the fact that maybe the police aren't looking into this because it is a uh, it's got a drug tie to it? And, you know, it's that whole it's that whole stigma that that's on her. Is that her belief? I think there's a whole perfect storm yeah. of issues surrounding Kaya's case. Unfortunately, it's a rural area, which doesn't get as much attention from like, you know, a metropolitan police department. Um, There is the drug issue. And then Kaya is also mixed race. So it could be mixed up with some racist sentiment as well. Yeah, I I just get so irritated by all this that it's like there's so many reasons why not to look into something, why not to to give something justice like drugs. She's a mixed race. It's a rural area. It's like, does there have to be a perfect storm of uh, completely accurate things to make, you know, now this is the person we're actually going to look into. It's very frustrating. I know. How many times are we going to hear this? Every time. That the police every time. Yeah. And uh, and Kenneth even goes goes into it here and she's very very aware of that too and uh she wants to make sure that kaya is searched for just as hard as they would search for a white blue-eyed choir girl is what she said yeah that's a direct quote which it's like it seems kind of funny like saying choir girl but it like speaks to a, a much larger systemic issue that her mother is all too aware of unfortunately and jen do you want to get into the beginning stages of her disappearance are we good to go on that yeah, let's get into it. Um, so, Kenneth last spoke to her daughter Kaya that Monday, February 3rd of 2020, which was just before her disappearance. She said that she would be by the house to give Kenneth money for her car insurance because she was still on her mother's insurance plan. And earlier in that week, Tiffany spoke to Kaya and said that Kaya was clearly very upset and said, quote, you wouldn't believe it if I told you, unquote. I think this is a very mysterious statement because uh, I don't think that Kaya was in a good position just generally. I think I don't know what this had to do with, if it had to do with Jason or with Kayla or with another person that was in her life. But clearly she didn't feel comfortable talking to Tiffany about her problems, either because um, it was just too involved and too complex to explain, or she didn't want to get Tiffany in any kind of trouble with the people she was mixed up with. Okay, and Tuesday and Wednesday, Tiffany called Kennetha worried that she hadn't been able to get in touch with Kaya at all. And by Saturday, Kennetha was very concerned about her daughter, and she went to Dade City Police to report her daughter missing. Okay, so how long does that put her at being out of touch with everybody? So Tiffany spoke to Kaya on that Monday she tried to reach out to her Tuesday and Wednesday, but didn't get through to her. And that's when she called Kaya's mother to see if she had heard from her. And by Saturday, her mother was very worried. So that's five days. Yeah. Okay. And according to Jason, his friend Kevin and a relative of Jason's, Kaya dropped Jason off at his house on Cowart Road on February 6th at approximately 4 p.m. At approximately 7 p.m., Kaya's car was found abandoned at East Trapnel Road just west of Jap Tucker Road in Plant City. 
Her car was found unlocked and running on the railroad tracks. Okay, that that's interesting. So the account of her being last seen on the 6th was actually from Jason. And, and I guess a few others, or two others, his friend Kevin and a relative. According to Jason and, and Kevin and a relative of Jason. So I don't know if this relative was male or female, but you have three people. Two of them we know are males. She drops him off at 4 p.m., and then her car is found three hours later still running on the railroad tracks. Yeah, and the site where the car was found was only 100 feet from Jason's home. 100 feet or yards? Feet. 100 feet. So that's like right, uh, you know, a house or so away. Um, wow. Right, yeah. I've I've looked at some uh, Google Earth images of this area, and um, there's like... The Cowart Road, and then there's uh, this Strawberry Farms. It's like a packing plant for produce on the left side. The railroad tracks cross over this road, and then uh, on the right side is Jason's home. So Kaya's car would have to exit Jason's driveway and then drive right up onto the train tracks right there at the corner where the train tracks and his driveway intersect. So let's let's break this down a little bit um, because I, I find this really peculiar. Um, she supposedly drops Jason off at 4 p.m. Again, her car is found three only three hours later, 100 feet away. So it says that she dropped Jason off. Doesn't mention what happened to Kevin and the relative of Jason's. Did they get dropped off there too? Yeah, they were all at the house at the time that uh, Kaya dropped Jason off. Okay, so her car was found running on the railroad tracks so what i mean what does that suggest to you guys a couple of things that came to mind for me is that they're trying to make it look like she might have just hopped out of her car and maybe hopped on the train uh was this like a cargo train like like it was uh hauling um like freight was it a freight train or was it more like a commuter rail train i believe it was a freight train for transport of goods and stuff i don't think there was a stop that you could get on the train. See, that's why I'm thinking if if anybody were to set this up to make it look suspicious, I would I would I would imagine maybe a scenario playing out in their heads, hey, let's leave the car running to make it look like she just jumped out and maybe hopped on the train to get away. Uh because they're not thinking it through. Um but I do want to highlight no one had heard from her 2 days prior, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. I mean, her boyfriend did. There's text messages back and forth. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah, if, if she was going to jump on that freight train, you'd think she would park her car and not leave it on the tracks. I mean, was was she trying to get it hit? Could could the train have passed? Was there more than one track here? I believe there's only one track line. So maybe whoever put it there, if Kaya did meet some foul play and they were trying to get rid of the car and maybe like make it look like Kaya had been hit by a train... Or something. That's why they parked it on the tracks so that a train would come by and and destroy the vehicle. I'm so sorry. When I when we were talking about it being parked on the tracks, I didn't actually think you literally meant it was parked on the tracks. I just thought it was like at the tracks. No, on the tracks. Oh, they're totally trying to make the car look like it. It. it they're to- totally trying to make it look like uh, her car got hit by the train. And if they find a body, they find they. Or if they don't find a body, they don't find a body because it was destroyed by the train. Right, right. That that's kind of what I think too. And and the plan was for it to get hit by the train, but apparently that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Poor planning. Yeah. 
Wow. I mean, you'd, you'd have to imagine that. I mean, that was kind of thrown together kind of hastily. Again, the car's still running. I don't know. I'm just very confused. And I'm, and I'm just assuming this is foul play at, at that point. It could be Kaya who uh, left the car there. But again, I mean, if she's really going to jump a freight train that doesn't have a stop, um, she could have done that anywhere. And you probably wouldn't leave your car on the tracks. And if there's only one track, how are you going to park your car on the tracks and get on the train without the train hitting your car? Exactly. Exactly. And I, I just uh, mildly disagree with you, Jen. You said it was poor planning. I actually think it might have been kind of good planning. I mean, for the a resources. A train didn't come by. <laughs> well, other than a train, I'm not saying that the execution was, was uh, perfect, but I'm saying if they wanted to make it look like something that was an accident where the body might be destroyed to the point of like non-recovery, then, I mean, it's not the worst plan in the world. Sure. Yeah. But say, okay, so in this scenario... Um, Kaya is already passed away. She's been killed or she ODs. Something happens at Jason's house. They hatch a plan to destroy the car and make it look like Kaya was killed by an oncoming train. How come they didn't put the body in the car? Yeah, I feel like I have a lot of questions here too. I mean, what if it was them doing something nefarious here? Why put why why do it right next to the house that yeah. that you're at that is being used as your alibi? And do we know how the car was found in the first place? Like who found it? Well, apparently some police agency discovered the car running on the railroad tracks and moved it to an embankment where it was later discovered. And they did not run the plates, nor did they search the vehicle at that time. Uh, which uh, I feel like we hear about a little bit too much. That kind of thing kind of reminds me of Brianna Maitland's uh, disappearance where they didn't run the, didn't really run it right away. But um, I, I, this is a little bit shrouded in mystery because it says a police agency. I'm not really sure what that means. And so the, these, this police agency was not on duty at the moment or something. Yeah. I don't really have any more information about that. Like what agency it was or what officer did it. It seems a little strange that they would just move the vehicle and not investigate any further. So maybe it was somebody off duty. And do we know who found it once they moved it to an embankment, which is also very strange why it wouldn't be brought to the local like police impoundment lot or something. I don't know. Or why wouldn't Jason say something like, Hey, my girlfriend's car is abandoned either on the railroad tracks or after it moved. Like what, what he didn't leave his house. Didn't see the, the car there. Yeah, I feel like this is kind of a tough disappearance to play out if if you're uh, you're assuming Kaya just kind of put the car there herself. I, I don't understand. She dropped Jason off and, and the friends off right there, and then three hours later only made it 100 feet, or her car only made it 100 feet, and she's gone. It's just so peculiar. Yeah, I agree. It seems pretty implausible if uh if kaya decided to take off and like start a new life somewhere or like go with another person in another car like why she would have staged her car like that unless she wanted to fake her own death in the same way we were talking about if uh if jason and his companions had had put the car there so when did it finally get back to her friend tiffany that her car was abandoned um, and was that when she reported her as being missing or was that after she reported her being missing? Yeah, so I'm not sure who notified her friend Tiffany that her car was abandoned at these railroad tracks. But somehow Tiffany got wind of this and she went down to Kaya's car and uh, she looked inside the window and she saw Kaya's phone and her purse sitting inside. 
so she called AAA to get inside the car and took Kaya's phone. Well, gee, you'd think if she uh, was leaving to get away for some reason, Kaya would have taken her purse. Yeah, totally. Or her phone. Or her car. That's fair. That's a, that's a mode of transportation uh, out of where you're living. You're right. And uh, another friend, Allison, got into Kaya's phone and saw that the last outgoing text was to Jason on February 6th. And it said, quote, now you're sending your racist supremacist friends to take care of me? End quote. Whoa. Okay, so all of this is already sounding really uh, suspicious, clearly suspicious with the car, the cell phone. Um, I'm not even fully convinced that it wasn't someone else with her cell phone sending text messages back and forth to make it look like she was still communicating with people. Uh, Before we get into the investigation part of it, is there any uh, phone call that was on the record that she made or were these all text messages? I believe these are all texts. There's no voice calls. But that text is like really interesting. Okay, what's your thought on that? So in this very text, it implies not only that she felt like her life was in danger, but providing a motive for her own death. Take care of me sounds like kill me. And mentioning racism and people who are white supremacists gives a motive to kill her. That is true. Um, how, how crazy. And according to Kenneth, though, the Hillsborough Sheriff's Department found that Dade City Police never actually entered Kaya's information into the system as a missing person. So they essentially missed the first 48 hours to find Kaya, which, as we all know, is some of the most important time in a case like this. So I think this is, like, further evidenced by the fact that Kaya's friends were the ones to, like, do the investigation, like, in the first 48 hours. The Her friends... Tiffany and Allison were the ones to go to the car, open it, recover her phone, and then actually find a way to get into the phone and find that incriminating text message. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse, carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program. I'm still a little confused as to when the police formally were involved in this, because if a police agency found the car... And it was running, so they simply moved the car to an embankment, uh, did not take the purse or the cell phone. Um, I'm assuming they didn't take the keys. I don't know. I'm, but they didn't take the purse, the cell phone. I guess they shut the car off, so we'll leave it at that. When were they formally involved in this? When did somebody go to them and say, this is uh, a very suspicious incident of, a, a, of an abandoned car and we don't know where the owner is? I think a few days uh, or two two or three days went by when Dade City did nothing in the investigation. And as we found out later that they didn't even really file a missing persons report within their own system. So because of this lack of investigation and lack of touching base with the family, um, Kanitha then went to a different department, the Hillsborough Sheriff's Department, and got them involved. Okay. And, and 
about what time was that? Like, what? how many days had passed since they found the car? I believe it was three days. Three days, okay. And was there anything else in the car, anything else around the car that would suggest Kaya's existence, like, would suggest that she was alive or doing something uh, from the time where uh, she was last heard from over the phone, like her voice, to when her car was found, like those two days, those three days? Is there anything that was found? Well, Kenneth found a receipt in Kaya's car from Ross, and that's a clothing store in Brandon, Florida, which is about 30 minutes away from Plant City. And this was odd because there was a closer Ross than the one in Brandon, so why did Kaya go all the way to that one? And the receipt was for 1.15 p.m. on February 5th, 2020, so right in this time frame, and it was paid for by a card that did not belong to Kaya. And uh, items on the receipt totaled around $70. You want to talk about what they were? Yeah, so the items on the receipt included a dress and cardigan that we described in the beginning as Kaya uh, was last wearing when she went missing. There was two negligees, which is a pretty old school term. I'm not really sure exactly what they mean by a negligee, but some sort of uh, lingerie, I imagine. Um, And then there were a few unspecified men's clothing items. All this was for $70? Rats Ross, baby. Ross Dress for Less, yeah, is the full name of Ross Stores. So yeah, that's that's right along the lines. Okay. These items were paid for with a card that wasn't connected to Kaya. Yeah, correct. Okay, so the implication here is that somebody bought them for her, uh, and she was seen wearing that dress, right? That's the description. She was last seen wearing that dress, so... Either she had access one way or another to the card or somebody bought these items for her. Uh, I think the unspecified men's clothing items would suggest that a man bought these items for her. Do you have any information on who the card traces back to? No, and I'm not sure they did trace that number. It seems like a very solid piece of evidence to, to follow through on. I'm just not sure if they have and they're not releasing that information or if they just never did it. Is there anything else that would place her in that area in Brandon, Florida, that would be uh, significant to her, important to her, other than this Ross store? Because this one in particular, you said, was sort of out of the way, right? Yeah, it was super out of the way. I'm looking at the map right now. Um, So Plant City is located in between Brandon, where the Ross store was, and Lakeland, where she worked at the call center. So she would really have no reason other than somebody she knows or she's hanging out in Brandon um, but I, I don't have any information about why she might be in Brandon. can pretty much guess the answer on this one. Do you know if the police ever went around in, uh, to Brandon and, and went to that particular Ross store, maybe talked to some of the employees? I don't know that. No. Yeah, it'd be nice. I mean, they, they could have probably easily pulled some surveillance video, too. But I, th- I do think it's notable that the, I, I take it the clothes and were never found in her car. So those negligees and the men's clothing items were also bought and not found. Correct. Also, I want to back up again. Uh, who was it that reported that she was last seen wearing these items? I'm not sure exactly who reported that, but I, like logically it would be Jason because he was the last one to see her. Okay. So her, her boyfriend and the people that she was with that day, Jason and... Kevin and Jason's relative, who could be the buyer there, for all we know. Right. Well, they're the ones that said that this was what she was wearing the last time we saw her, which matches the receipt that was found in her car. Um, I might be splitting hairs here, but how many times do you 
buy something, clothing items, and you take them, like, how many times does the receipt fall out of the bag? Like, how many times does the receipt just, I'm, you know what I'm saying? Like, what, how, yeah, receipts that, are kind of like trash paper almost, you know, I could see that easily just getting left behind in somewhere and no one looks at, you know, and even like thinks about it twice, a receipts on the floor of a car, you know? How does it get out of the bag? Are you taking your clothes out of the bag in the car? Yeah, I think that's that's interesting. Um, I would say so, and especially because there was male and female items in there that would, you know, you would you would think that uh, there was at least two people that the clothing was bought for. So maybe one person is handed the clothing, and the other person keeps the clothing in the bag. Another thing that I don't think we've mentioned yet is that during the time that Kaya was allegedly at this Ross store around one o'clock on February fifth. She made a series of calls and texts to Jason, which probably means that she was not with him at the time. So, like, who is this other person with the other card? And it might be a male because there was male clothing items in there. And a negligee kind of hints that, like, maybe a romantic encounter. And do we know the um, context of the text messages? I do not. Well, it would be really interesting to see what those text messages say, because if it was something where she's texting her boyfriend and saying, uh, what what shirt size are you? Then you can imagine the scenario where he might have given her his card and she said, I'm going to go buy some stuff for myself and I'll pick you up something. Do you need anything? And he says, yeah, a couple of T-shirts or something or pants or whatever. And she texts him or some negligees. But then she texts him about it just to confirm, like, the color or size or something. Now, if those text messages were more like, hey, I'm at the movies or, hey, I'm, I'm uh, hanging with my mom or something, maybe that's something, to your point, that this was a, a maybe a romantic encounter that she was having, given the negligees, and she was just doing something to divert his attention. And just to get to know some of the people around Kaya a little bit better, Kayla was a childhood friend of Kaya's, and she breezed in and out of Kaya's life. Around the time of Kaya's disappearance, she and Kayla were hanging out again. Kanatha did not approve of this friendship. Again, Kanatha is Kaya's mom, and that's because she knew Kayla was mixed up with drugs and was most likely the person Kaya purchased the meth from. In your conversation with Kenneth, was it clear to you that uh, Kaya was in need of money? Did she have a job or anything like that, Jen? Yeah, she did have a job. She worked in Lakeland at the call center. Okay, that's right. You said that. She like Right before she disappeared, she had given her mother money um, for the car insurance. So I don't think she was particularly hurting for money. And then there's Jason, Kaya's boyfriend, and uh, we've talked about him a little bit already. And so Kaya was dating him at the time she went missing, and he ran with a few people who didn't like the fact that Kaya was mixed-raced, as uh, sort of evidenced by that text message that uh, alluded to the fact that his friends were after her. And you also coupled that with the fact that the car was found very close to the property, just about 100 feet away, and... With the uh, receipt from Ross's, maybe she was seeing somebody else. Jen, was there any other piece of evidence or any other physical piece that of, of something that Kaya owned that would connect him to her disappearance? Yeah, I sort of neglected to mention that during the search that the Hillsborough Sheriff Department conducted, this was after the fact, after the car was moved, they found uh, a pair of shoes that belonged to Kaya placed near a telephone pole near the dump site for the car. And this was close to Jason's house. But it definitely was not there at the time that they removed the car. It was found in a subsequent search. What? 
Well, that's weird. And and so we know those shoes were connected somehow? Yeah, I believe either Tiffany or her mother like identified them as Kai's shoes. So I want to be clear. They took the car, a police agency took the car from the railroad tracks where it was parked on. Car was running. They brought it to an embankment that was nearby and left it there with her purse and cell phone in there. And later on when the car was discovered by Kaya's friends, that's when her shoes were found next to a telephone pole? No, it was days later during the... Days later? Yeah, days later during the search that the Hillsborough Sheriff Department conducted. So it was on a, a official search. And um, I did mention the fact that like the shoes were located at the base of a telephone pole, and on the telephone pole was a missing persons flyer for Kaya. Okay. Were the were the shoes neatly placed there? Yes. Not scattered. Yeah, correct. Very neatly placed in pair at the base of the telephone pole. Which had the missing poster. Correct. Yeah. Huh. And we don't know anything about uh testing on those shoes or anything like that, other than what, what Kenneth had told you? Yeah, correct. I, I, I don't know if there's any forensic testing done on the shoes. And that was still close to Jason's property. Yeah. Hundred feet. Do you see that as like a a message? Either like Jason is supremely dumb and like keeps turning up evidence in Kaya's disappearance like near his own house or someone is trying to frame him by placing her car and her belongings near his house. Is there anything else around his house aside from a railroad track? It's just that um produce packing place Strawberry Farms. What do they do there? They they pack produce for like distribution to grocery stores mm-hmm. and so this isn't like a, a pig farm or something like that it was this was a, a, a packaging plant right no pigs just okay produce. that's good okay anyone worked there that was connected to kaya not that i know of but i do know that like some workers from strawberry farms had been involved in the search for kaya and one of those workers at the Strawberry Farms found the shoes next to the telephone pole. How extensive were these searches? Lots of police officers, lots of law enforcement, lots of friends and family? I do believe it was pretty extensive. Um, Kenitha mentioned that a helicopter was deployed. There was lots of ground search efforts, but I'm not sure if there was any dog searches. And this is sort of a random question. This was uh, early February about 7 p.m. that they claim the car was left on the railroad tracks. How how dark would it be then? Would it be pretty dark February, Florida, 7 p.m.? Probably almost totally dark, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. By 7 p.m. the sun would be down. Okay. Yeah, and those shoes, such a, a weird clue, found on a drainage pipe near where her car was abandoned, uh, right next to a missing person's flyer about Taylor. Not to get too deep into the the meth angle or the drug angle, but did she owe money to anybody? Was she uh, in a circle of users that seemed potentially dangerous, or were they more recreational users? I don't have a straightforward answer for that. There is nothing said to the people around Kaya that she was in any sort of trouble financially or with drug people. The only thing that was sort of mentioned was like Jason via that text message. That said, anytime you're involved in, in drugs, you know, there, violence is kind of 
part and parcel of that world, unfortunately. I don't think Kaya was ever involved in, like, dealing anything. I think she was just, like, a, you know, a recreational user. But her friend Kayla may have been involved in some selling of meth because I think Kaya got her drug supply from Kayla. So you've got two sides of this that are kind of suspicious or shady, um, and that's Kayla uh, being um, Kaya's old friend that Kenneth didn't really appreciate her hanging out with, her daughter hanging out with. And then you've got Jason, her boyfriend, Kaya's sometimes boyfriend, and him and his friends. And so they both seem like they were tied into drugs a little bit. So it seems like the most likely direction is one of those angles, one of those uh, friend groups, I guess. Yeah, and apparently according to her mother, Kenetha, um, Kaya had made a call to her sponsor for NA, and she was going to try to get clean right before her disappearance. Um, I don't know if that provides any motive for someone to like hook her back on drugs to keep her as a customer or whatever. But it is a curious thing, like, right before she goes missing, she, like, really wants to, you know, stop this lifestyle. And you said N.A., that's Narcotics Anonymous? Yeah. Could she have been submitting a tip about uh, drug dealers? I don't think that's how N.A. works. I think it's just a support system for people with addiction. Okay. It's not a law enforcement thing. But you um, said that she was in touch with her sponsor. So had she gone to NA before and had a sponsor because Yeah, I believe that um Kaya had had been struggling for a couple years with addiction. I don't know if it was always meth, but she had gotten clean and then gone back to to that world uh, a few times in the past. Okay. And was there any indication that she was in an abusive relationship with anybody? I believe there's some suspicion cast on Jason. Um not sure if it was physical abuse or, or verbal abuse, but it, it was kind of a toxic relationship according to the people close to Kaya. Okay, so what do you guys think? And, and wh- what did Kenneth think too, Jen? Kenneth thinks there's like two avenues in this case. Like obviously one of them is Jason, that if he's not responsible for her disappearance, he perhaps knows more than he is willing to say. Um, a big thing on Kenneth's radar was Kayla's involvement with a potential sex trafficking ring and that perhaps Kaya could have been trafficked. Wow. Where did she get this? Was there something that was going on in the area? Is that like a hot spot? Plant City is, is definitely not a hot spot, but Florida in itself is, is definitely a, a state that is known for some trafficking. Well, the negligees, I thought, was was kind of interesting and kind of made me think that, too. And uh, we also know that I think contrary to a lot of people's beliefs that uh, the average age of registered victims of trafficking is 27, which I think is older than most people would imagine. Yeah, I was definitely surprised by that fact. Um, And I think they give the range between 19 and 33 years old. Well, that just leads me to wonder who took her to put her into a sex trafficking ring at that time and in that spot. She dropped off her friends and her boyfriend and backed her car up to leave his property. And 100 feet later, she comes across people who have taken her uh, to be sex trafficked. And they leave her car there running on the train tracks. I don't know how most sex trafficking abductions happen. I could see the car being maybe a few miles away on the side of the road or something. Then you could say, okay, well, someone was following her and and worked her off off the road. But... Um, so close to where she had just dropped people off. Seems 
really strange to me. What is it that her mother was so tied into because of that without really thinking about like the location that her daughter went missing? I think she was really um, kind of taken with the fact that Kayla was mixed up in this world and Kaya was like hanging out with her a lot in the past, like I think a couple months um, and maybe had, had fallen into the world uh, and, and met some people that Kayla was attached to. What, I mean, what you're saying really doesn't jive with a sex trafficking incident because she was so close to her boyfriend's house unless her boyfriend is in on it in some way and connected to Kayla. I mean, would typically money be exchanged if someone were in a hypothetical world putting themselves in contact with an individual who had a girlfriend who might fit a certain description that they would want for their sex trafficking ring? Would that be something that happens in sex trafficking where someone is approached and they say, here's $15,000, just make sure that she's alone wherever, like, and, and then we take care of it. Is that how it goes down sometimes? Yeah, I believe so. There's lots of incidents of people who act as middlemen and groomers for sex trafficking victims. They befriend the victim, they date them, they ingratiate themselves in their lives, in the victim's lives, and then, you know turn on them either abduct them or like psychologically manipulate them yeah that psychological abuse is pretty much the most prevalent on children and adults uh, the most prevalent means of control uh for for sex trafficking but i i do feel like that a lot of victims of sex trafficking they, they don't go missing from the population like that you know they kind of disappear gradually into that world and then they're kind of lost you know i i think the actual just vanishing of Kaya is is rare here and I I would uh maybe lean that 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 was a some kind of violent end that she met um maybe she was trying to blow the whistle on something I don't know yeah something had to make her a target it's also very strange because it doesn't really whatever the conclusion is I don't think we'll ever sit well with how her car was found you know, if she was ready to blow the whistle on something, why'd they leave her phone? Why'd they leave the purse? Why'd they leave the car running? Like, why Why did everything just kind of stop at that scene and her body's no, nowhere to be found? Yeah. I, you know, when I was um, researching this case, it kind of reminded me a little bit about a previous case I worked on was uh, Suitcase Jane Doe. There's something really strange about the way that the body was wrapped up and tossed in this, like, strange area. And, and separate like nothing made logical sense about where the body was dumped. I know that the, the, the suspect that we have on radar right now for that case is a meth user. So maybe the, the uh, illogical placement of the car maybe speaks to a person who is on drugs. Yeah, that's a great point. And it could make perfect sense in their head when it's going down. This is what we're doing and this is why we're doing it probably is a wonderful plan in their head uh, and it does have some base in in logic somewhere but it's just overall completely irrational um, but where's her body yeah and very hasty also kind of reminds me of Brianna Maitland's disappearance right because I feel like we were talking about all the same uh, elements the car being left uh, why was it left like it was uh, possible sex trafficking possible weird boyfriend who knows and there were drugs involved in Brianna's that's case true as too well. yep 
Yeah, you just sort of plug and play with the details, right? It's the car, the location, the suspicious nature in which the car was found, and also the neglect from law enforcement or just the oversight where they're thinking this is uh, just yet another abandoned vehicle that's running on a railroad track uh, with a, a person there and a cell phone. And, you know, we'll just, we'll just set the car over here. It's probably nothing. They'll probably come back for it in a couple of days. Um, but that the hastiness, Tim, when you said that it's so hasty, that reminds me of all of these other ones too, like suitcase Jane Doe and, and, and Brianna Maitland. This is more so because the car was running. That makes me think that it was hasty and her purse was left there and the cell phone was left there. Very, very hasty. But whatever happened to her, if, she met foul play and she's no longer with us. That was done very well because no one's ever found her. So somewhere along the lines, these people came around, figured out how to dispose of a body where no one would find it. And how, however hasty it was leading up to that is a moot point because they're so good at disposing the body. Right. And likewise with the other cases we've just mentioned, like those people got away with it. Brianna's never been found. Uh, there's nobody ever been convicted of suitcase Jane Doe's murder either. So like, even though it seems like so illogical, maybe that kind of works in their favor. Like you can't put together the thought pattern of somebody who committed these crimes, like makes it that much harder to like follow clues back to a suspect. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Completely unintentional, right? Like these people aren't master criminals. They were terrible at the, at the part that was before the disposal. Once they had time to absorb it and and think it through, then they figured out how to just, you know, make a couple of moves to to ensure that these bodies would never be found. What fell in line for them in a very fortuitous way was law enforcement neglect and, I guess, circles of friends that were unsavory, so no one really wanted to touch it. Yeah, I, I, I think that can't be stressed enough that law enforcement dropped the ball with this case. And I just want to put a reminder out there to everybody who might be a little turned off by somebody who does drugs. Like, addiction is an illness. And just because she had an addiction and an illness doesn't mean that she doesn't deserve justice and deserve the same kind of work that law enforcement would put into another case that doesn't involve these elements. Yeah, for sure. Well said. And Honestly, like the more attention that these types of cases get where there is a drug element really should just be worked on harder because it speaks to a, a a deficiency in society, right? It speaks to something that needs to be fixed. Um, getting really tired of hearing these stories where all of these excuses line up. Too busy, drug problem, uh, marginalized member of society. Like, what are you working on then? Like, it does it have to be gift wrapped all the time? And you know, it's 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 very frustrating, and it's uh again speaks to just a, a bigger issue, like you said in the beginning, more of a systemic issue. Yeah, absolutely. And I I really do think that this is the type of case that can be solved by someone coming forward with information. So if you have information about Kaya Taylor's disappearance, please call the Hillsborough Sheriff's Department with that information and help solve this case. And you can reach the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office at 813-247-8000. 
When a person goes missing, their loved ones often find themselves overcome with worry and grief. Bruce Maitland started the 501c3 nonprofit organization Private Investigations for the Missing because he knows this feeling all too well. When Bruce's daughter Brianna disappeared in March 2004, he was surrounded by licensed private investigators dedicated to finding her. Now his mission is to provide dedicated private investigators at no cost to other families of the missing, desperate for answers but without the financial means. Private Investigations for the Missing needs your help. To read the mission statement, make a donation, and keep up with our blog, visit us at investigationsforthemissing.org and follow us at PI for the Missing on Twitter and Facebook and Investigations for the Missing on Instagram. Because forever is too long to wait. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's nix.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's knix.com.